Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson. It's been too long since we've had you on the, on Faith FM for The Breakfast Show. Oh, mate, and I love being here. So thanks for the invites. Great, you know, getting to wake up early, um, have a shower, like trying to not fall asleep. It's like my favourite thing. You just... Your favourite thing is when the alarm clock goes off at stupid o'clock in the morning, right? Oh, yeah. It's just, like, you know, it's like buzzing beside my head and I'm like... Yes, I it's get just to like roll this, out this, of bed. The sweet music of heaven. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate, I'm I'm in hysterics. It's great. So, 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 your thankfulness this morning is uh, what the alarm clock or the or the shower that woke you up or <laughs> oh, just all of it, just all of like I'm, you know, like I said, big fan of the alarm. As as a fan of music, you know, I can appreciate the artistic merit of that alarm, and you know, yeah, just uh, <laughs> rolling out of your, bed. Your, your alarm has artistic merit. Yeah, hundred percent. Someone thought of it. Someone had to, you know, put it together. But nonetheless, oh, what are you thankful for, Lyle? Paint. Y- yeah, oi. Paint. Same. Paint. I, I, like I in paint a general sense? Oh, okay, in the specific sense. In the specific sense, paint. Okay, you've been painting. Yes, I was painting until I think 11 o'clock last night. Oh, getting it We done. started painting this room. I thought, oh, this will take an hour. Yeah. No. It never does. No. <laughs> never no. Does. <laughs> painting is hard too. Like you have to be invested. And, and you sort of, you get slack. Yeah. You know, the, the later it gets, it's like, ah, oh, just get this paint on there and then you start to make a mess and then it... Yes, and then your lines are streaky and... Thankfully, it was only the undercoat, the sealer coat, okay. so we could afford to make it a little bit messy. Mm-hmm. But uh, hopefully when the next few coats go on, they will be a little bit more tidy. Yeah. But definitely a big job right there and grateful that we could uh, change the colour. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's transfer into some positively different news. Absolutely. Yes. Ready Ready for it. Okay, so uh, news has broken over the weekend um, that electromagnetic field could possibly be the solution to diabetes. Really? Electro... What? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I read that too and was like, are you okay? Okay, so uh, I've got a few diabetic friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just letting you know... I do own an electric fence, so if you want to be cured, just come and visit. I will have the I have the the problem solved right there. Just grab a hold of this. Just hold on for a little while. And no, 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 no. Backwards hand. You back, back, back of the palm. That's you know. We keep... No fun. That's no fun. Ah, okay. <laughs> we want to hurt people, or apparently benefit them here. That's right. This... I'm not trying to hurt anyone. <laughs> I'm not a sadist. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being compassionate here. Well, dude, check this out. Um. Uh, this is a really, oh, this is really awesome. I, I read this uh, article and I was like, that's insane. Essentially, um, after some research, scientists have concluded that long lasting, um, that, that, um, basically they got with some mice, uh, who were di- diabetic and they applied an electric, uh, electromagnetic field. Um, and they've seen basically therapy take place that has essentially, um, boosted uh, insulin and normalized uh, blood sugar levels in mice. I wonder how you get a diabetic mouse. I mean, hey, do, do they find diabetic mice or do they create them? 
They like, probably just, make them. Like, they probably make them, don't they? I think it would be a bit tedious to find a diabetic my, mouse. And, like, then, and then imagine giving a mouse an insulin injection each day. You know, the size of that needle for a mouse is like being stabbed with a needle that is like <laughs> 25 millimetres across yeah, for a human stabbed, being. Stabbed with a stick. But surely, okay, they surely have mouse needles. <laughs> but yeah, this has uh, come as a, quite a surprise to them as it was just a kind of by chance thing that happened in the laboratory of like, they just kind of sent it. They were like, oh, let's, let's see what happens if we apply a, 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 you know, an electromagnetic field to these diabetic mice that we're and trying to. And it actually worked. To, and it actually worked. Um, you know, long lasting, um, um, yeah, reduction in the the symptoms and outcomes of uh diabetes and now the next step obviously is like okay well can this treatment be applied to humans um which they've already taken the step taken the step in doing um as they've uh, treated human liver cells uh with an electric magnetic field and they've seen that the I- insulin sensitivity of those cells increased significantly significantly in that time so essentially yeah electromagnetic fields are the way to go now i don't then know how i feel about it because there have been people uh preaching for a long time or speaking for a long time about the negative the dangerous the dangerous effects of electromagnetic magnetic fields i mean and and how is this applied this is the other question that goes through my mind what do they make what do you just sleep on an electric blanket each night and problem solved yeah so this is obviously the next step as they found that oh yeah okay electromagnetic fields help with diabetes how can we then turn this into some kind of product or system that is actually going to help people and so now they're thinking of you know creating electric you know magnetic uh field stations that you could plug into your wall and create an electromagnetic field you know an intense one in your home or maybe some kind of solution you can have like a little booth at service stations you know a service station have a little restaurant on the side you have a little booth there and go and get your and, and get charged up so that if you're on a long journey somewhere and you're a diabetic, you just um, you know walk in, and charge up for a while, yeah, charge your car, charge yourself, and away you go. Man, this is such a 2020 story. <laughs> it is. It's like welcome to the future. Like. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe the the solution is to swap over to driving an electric car, and there you can just you can just get your uh, health fix while you drive. This is an EMF enabled car. Maybe the faster it goes, the better it is. <laughs> well, that would be a system that you know lawmakers like, probably why, wouldn't why enjoy. We, but why, why, why were you why, why were you speeding? I was about to die. I had to speed. <laughs> it's like look, creating an electromagnetic field. Yeah, come on, guys. Didn't want to have a hypo. Um, just quickly, we've got about two and a half minutes left. But I wanted to talk about something really quick, quickly that I found interesting. Again, as as a music fan, we've been seeing a lot of. Um, high-profile conversions to Christianity in the music industry in a big way. Yes. Um, And it's very different to things that have happened in the past, Um, the way that the music industry has kind of treated spirituality, particularly in America, where it's like, you know, there might be an artist, and and this was very true, I think, in the field of hip-hop. Like, there would be an artist who would have spiritual roots, and so they would make an album that would be very reflective of, you know, the hip-hop, culture um which admittedly hasn't been a very positive one but then they'll sprinkle in a few tracks or a few themes here or there that would represent you know maybe their spiritual roots whereas now we're seeing the likes of you know kanye west justin bieber chance the rapper these high profile um 
artist just making the full-on switch to, oh, I'm going to release a big single that is called Holy, or I'm going to release a gospel album, or I'm going to, you know, um, post on Instagram 24-7 about my spiritual life um, and, you know, my goings to church. And my question is, Lyle, in the in the minute and 10 seconds that we have, like, th- these people, whilst they're making these positive steps, are then still a part of an industry and then in the midst of everything they're doing still um, engaging in activities that I would find like maybe anti-biblical because they're kind of not up to the standard of the Bible. What, what do you think's going on here? Like, Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also if you look back through, you know, historically you've got your big artists from like the 50s and 60s and they were all Christians. Mm. You know, even though they got into drugs and all that kind of stuff, they all, you know, professed Christianity. Okay, so first of all, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the one to judge. That is entirely God's uh, opportunity and and not mine. Um, and so, who am I to judge the genuineness of their faith? Sure. We 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 take that at face value, mm. and we praise God that at yeah, the very amen. least God is working there amen. and God is doing something. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. And a truly converted person, the word conversion mm-hmm. means change. Yes. And so, you know, if they're not changing, if they're not, you know, it, it moves, it, it involves dying to the past life and living a new life. Mm-hmm. And if the old life is still there and a new life is just added on beside the old yes. life, then that raises question marks in my mind. Yeah, 100%. So on one hand, I praise God that yeah, God is working God. Mm. and I pray that he continues to work and everybody's on a journey. I get that and everybody's at a different stage at their journey. It's not my place to judge. Mm. On the other hand, I do see people with their conversion experience that do make dramatic changes and put the past life behind mm. them. Uh, and I think that's what the word conversion in the Bible is all about. And you know, that's really... Uh, you know the true evidence of the Holy mm. Spirit just changing a person's life. That's powerful. I think that then the conclusion is: is no matter who you are, you know, God calls us to. You know, we can never be um, too big for a new life that God has called us to and to change. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. What's going on around the world in uh, in current news? Okay, so in Mexico, the president of Mexico has just written a letter to Pope Francis, mm-hmm. um, asking for. An apology for treatment of indigenous people by the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, okay. So this is part of, you know, Mexico is um, celebrating their 500 years of colonization, which took place between 1519 and 1521. That was kind of when they moved in there. And, of Mm -hmm. course, uh, the indigenous population was largely wiped out. Yes. Um, yes. And he's also called for a reversal of the excommunication of Miguel Hidalgo, who was the 19th century independence leader and was excommunicated from the church, cast out of heaven, so to speak, uh, for fighting for independence. And they're like, no, this guy's a national hero. And this hasn't resulted in the destruction of the Roman Catholic Church in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so we need to reverse his excommunication. We need to take him out of eternal hellfire and put him into heaven where he belongs. Yeah, yeah, wow. So, heavy uh, stuff. Yeah, heavy stuff. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Kind of wild to have that kind of power. But, hey, that's the tradition within their faith group. Sure. And so that's the way that, uh, that it's operating. And so the president is written to Pope Francis. be interesting to see how Pope Francis responds. Yes. I would not be surprised if he responds quite favourably to this. Yes. 
I I would think so too, honestly. Just looking at, you know, his past track record, of course, back in the year 2000, you had the apology by uh, John Paul II for uh, the abuses of the Inquisition during the Dark Ages. Mm. Um, And, you know, it was pretty horrific what took place uh, back in the day. Just from a historical perspective, I just do have to geek out just for a moment. Mm-hmm. Because you do know I love history, but what, one of the things that I find interesting is the various forms of colonization that have taken place around the world. Yes, yes. Observe this: mm-hmm. there are countries that have been colonized, countries that have never been colonized, and countries that have been co- partially colonized or colonized for a p- portion of their history. Mm-hmm. And what you've got is countries that have never been colonised, countries that have been partially colonised, basically their entire populations want to move to a country that has been colonised and the colonisation has stayed, mm-hmm. like Australia, the United yeah, States, etc. Sure. Um, except for countries that... Uh, the, the, the dividing line seems to be between... basically divided up religiously. Mm-hmm. So it depends what religion was the dominant religion when colonization takes place to determine whether people want to move to that country today or not. Wow. You know, so when you come several hundred years down the track, it's like, do people want to move to Australia? Yes. Do they want to move to the United States and Canada? Yes. Mm. Um, are, the, do they, are, are people breaking their necks to move to Mexico? No. No. Mm. And that's a religious divide. It's the only major divide that you find between uh, those two issues. We were having a, uh, a conversation about this with a historian here in the studio um, who whose interview is coming up today. Oh, that's awesome. Eliza Marr mm-hmm. um, ab- about this this very fact and she was pointing out how that it divides up religiously. Can I, can I ask a question yes. there? Is the divide, like the difference in religion between Mexico and Australia and... You know, uh, the United it's basically States Protestant Protestants versus okay. Yeah. That was my thing. I, I thought you might have been referencing like the religion of the country that they were trying to colonize. No, it's not no. about the indigenous religion. It's okay. about the religion of the colonizers. Yes, yes. And of course, another example would be uh, Shinto Japan invading you know South Korea. That's sort of like that's nobody's ever gotten over that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. So you know. It's just interesting to see the effect that these that, that religions have. Mm, yes. Anyway, they just had a massive prayer march in Washington DC, as they do in America. Yes. Um, it seems to my, my wife was in America a few months back, and it was basically everybody just doing their thing like COVID didn't exist. Mm. Which was yeah. So a hundred thousand people turned up for a big prayer march. Uh, and this is a result of uh, the, probably the biggest um, issue there and the attitude amongst a lot of the people that were there was that they feel like America is going down the tube. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can kind of look at, you know, the, the recent presidential uh, candidates debate and, well, we don't know who won, but we know who lost. Yeah. <laughs> United States lost. <laughs> um, and so they see their country on a downhill trajectory. Yeah, sure. And so they've gathered to pray about it. It's a very positive thing to do. Um, and it just it just baffles me the you know the last two elections the the options that have been presented. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
Enough said on that. Yeah, we it's do, good we, that they're it's good that they're praying about it. Amen. It's good that they're praying because about they need prayer. Amen. I did promise that I'd talk about uh, child sacrifice. Yes. And recently in the United States, they've ruled that the first trimester abortions are exempt are exempt from some regulations if the abortion takes place as a part of the Satanic Temple's religious abortion ritual. Okay, that is very flooring. That is kind of heavy right there. Um, And this has been done under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act was brought through in 1993, I think it was, by Bill Clinton, Mm. after the Supreme Court had struck down religious freedom in the United States. Mm. And so the Satanic Temple claims um, that they have a ritualized abortion, and so therefore it is a religious right... Um, to take the life of the unborn child, and because it's a religious right, then a lot of the requirements um, they're exempt from. And so anybody who joins this particular faith group can then become exempt from these particular um, uh, uh, regulations, such as waiting periods, informed consent, and ultrasounds. They can bypass all that on religious grounds because they're like, well, this is a spiritual experience for us. This is a religious ritual. Man, that is tough. It's heavy, isn't it? This is really heavy. Um, And so, yeah, laws protecting religious practice now protect killing unborn children. Yes. Now, oh, how do you even go about solving this problem? Okay, okay. so here's what's also really, really insightful about what the uh, Satanic Church is doing here Mm. is because they say they have created this ritual because it's going to be beneficial for the mother because they have recognised that there is a horrific toll on mothers who have abortions with depression and so forth. And so to deal with that um, terrible, terrible after effects on the mother, like we're going to turn this into a religious ritual, we're going to make it into a spiritual experience, and that way they'll be able to deal with their depression a whole lot easier. So it comes from the standpoint of compassion. This is throwing me for a loop because there's so much that can be said, but it's so hard to say it because it's on the grounds of religious freedom. And it's like, what's the step that we take here? Because if religious freedom protects the first four commandments, not the last six. Yeah, I know. It's freedom to worship, not freedom to kill, lie, steal, cheat. But this is the thing is that like legislatively abortion is legal so if it's legal then it should and it, then it's part of a religion then it's kind of like there's a loophole that's being created here that's oh absolutely and, and, the, and, the, and this is and, the, and they're very very intentional about this because they uh, then tried to um, hire a um, a company an advertising company that was owned by people of faith in the uh, in the deep south to build to make billboards for them and the company refused naturally Mm-hmm. Uh, to advertise this process and to advertise their ritual, uh, their satanic uh, ritual, and um, and now they're suing the company for religious discrimination. My okay, so just hit my chest. Like all right, there's a lot of things we could say right here, but I will say this: if this story has triggered something with you, do give us a call or give Lifeline a call. The number is one three one 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 four. 
because I know there's a lot of people that really struggle with these kinds of issues yeah, and, and we do 100%. want to have compassion for people um, who uh, are struggling with these issues right here. So lifeline number is 131114 um, or give us a call at Faith FM and we can help you out with uh, putting you in contact with whoever you need to be talking to. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different is Interview of the Daytime. And joining us right here in the studio today is Eliza. Eliza Ma. 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 I was, <laughs> I was wondering how to pronounce that. Ma. Uh, no one pronounces it right the first time. <laughs> okay, so I've got it right. Eliza Ma. We are super excited to have you here and uh, hear about your journey of faith. Eliza, let's start from the very beginning. Uh, as a young person, did you grow up in a Christian home? I did grow up in a Christian home. Thank you very much, Lyle. I grew up in a Christian home where the Bible was uh, read and studied every night of the week, and we prayed together as a family every day, and church was um, a huge part of our lives. We were brought up to, I have so much to thank my dad for, especially. Um, we were brought up to love God, love scripture, and see it as the authoritative guide for our lives. Um, in everything we did, it was uh, scripture was always a big part of understanding how we should live, how we should approach life, how we should um, make big decisions. And so that's that's the environment I was growing up in. That's fantastic. I think that uh, there's probably a lot of people listening right now that are like super jealous, like, why couldn't <laughs> yeah. we grow up in Eliza's home, eh? <laughs> did you appreciate it when you were younger? Like. Hmm. Or is it one of those things that's more in hindsight, you're like, man, I'm so thankful now. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think in hindsight, I, I suppose when you're a kid, you just think that your family's normal. Uh-huh, you think everyone's uh-huh. like you. And I certainly thought my parents were normal. My parents were very unusual in lots of different ways. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, absolutely. I Looking around my own church at the time, I knew that we were a bit weird, but I just assumed that Oh. You know, those other people were weird, uh, not us. We were we were the normal normal Christians. So so, so okay, all right. So a bit weird, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were we were a big family. So I'm the youngest of seven, and um, people were always calling but not calling us legalists. Um, mm. And because we took the Bible so seriously, and people just said, "Oh, chill out. Like, what what's what's the big deal? Like, you're saved. That's that's all you need to worry about." We just so. had a big discussion on that the other day <laughs> here on, on, on faith, that, that very issue right there. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, it was a huge issue. And I, I was born into the Baptist church. I came to faith in the Baptist church but grew up really in the Presbyterian church. And that's a huge issue that neither of those churches really had any idea of. And it was an issue that kept on coming up um, week after week. And those questions were never answered in, in those settings. So Presbyterian church specifically, not Uniting Church? Not Uniting Church, no. So I really find, I'm a historian, I find the history of the Presbyterian Church really fascinating because in the 70s or so, the Uniting Church was founded and it included the all the Methodists, all the Congregationalists, and the liberal wing of the Presbyterian and the, some Church. Of the, and some of the Presbyterians. <laughs> yes, all the liberals <laughs> went off to join the Uniting Church. Um, but... So the Presbyterian church I grew up in was hyper-conservative. They wouldn't let women preach, for example. They wouldn't even let women teach the youth group, uh, the teen group. So it was all very, um, yeah, very conservative. And that's what worked for them. Um, But they had some things missing that I was really privileged to find out later in life. Okay, so how did... Tell us, take us through that journey. How did that all happen? The... 
What in particular? Okay, so you found out some 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 things later in life because okay, so you started off Baptist, mm. then you went Presbyterian, now you're Seventh Day Adventist. Was there anything right. else in between? No, there was nothing else in between. Um, so I, um, one of my brothers became Adventist. He was the first one in our family um, when I was about twelve or so, and so he became a Bible worker. Um, decided he wanted to be a pastor. He's now a pastor in Victoria, and. So it was through him, through his journey of faith, that as he was discovering these truths, mm. I also started asking questions and thought, well, why would you go to any other church apart from our family church? Because faith was such a huge uh, part of our family and we all went to the same church. And so as I started grilling him, he started giving me more answers. And all the answers he gave seemed to be really straightforward and really um, basic. And they're all founded in scripture. And there was nothing mm. I could say to that. Um, I heard about the Sabbath and I just had assumed that Sunday was the seventh day because I knew the commandment, mm. obviously. And I thought, well, you know, I know what day we're going to church. So I just put two and two together and came up with five. And <laughs> um, yeah, so my brother just walked me through those things and it just seemed really basic to me. And then when I got into prophecy, I thought, wow, this is incredible. I'd been really suspicious of my... Um, my own church experience in that whenever we mentioned Daniel or Revelation, there was always this big um, no-go zone. And we could never talk about it. We never studied it. We never preached from it. And so it was just all new and all exciting to me. And, um, yeah, I made a commitment to be baptized when I was 14. Wow. Um, it was a bit of a rocky road from there. Um, my brother, actually, when he joined the Adventist church, he, uh, the only time our Presbyterian minister ever visited us as a family in the 14 years we were part of that church was when my brother left and he came into our house. We all sat down as a family because that's how we like to do things. We all nice. sat down in the front room. This is an awesome family. Uh -huh. I'm, loving, I'm just loving your family listening to this story. Oh, my family's amazing. Um, but we all sat down in the living room and um, the minister turned to my father and said, look, your son has joined a cult oh. and he's going to infect the rest of your children with this terrible doctrine and you need to get him to leave the house. He can't oh. stay in the same house with the rest of your children. And my father... That sounds like a very cultish kind of thing to, <laughs> to say. It's like, right. he's joined a cult and you need to act like a cult. Right. <laughs> No. Well, he, he didn't know Adventists himself. He wasn't really familiar, right. but his head elder had told him some terrible things. I don't know, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and so my dad had been thrown out of home under similar circumstances when he was a similar age. Wow. He left the Catholic Church. And so my dad wasn't going to have any of that and said, look, you know, he stays here. He makes his own spiritual decisions. He takes responsibility for his own salvation. And that's not something I can step in with. And so when I, at the age of 14, decided I wanted to go the same way, my dad said, look, if you do that, you can, you can believe whatever you want, but if you do that, we will all be thrown out of our church. Uh, wait, 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 wait. So you're what, like the second person in your family? I'm the second. Okay, yes. so this is a very conservative Presbyterian church. All, well, yes. <laughs> That's um. That's I. So yeah. All how, right. That's that's a lot of pressure for a fourteen-year-old. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. How was that in your response? Because it sounds like your family is actually very close. Yes. And I imagine to have that 
Yeah, that's, oh, absolutely. That's I wasn't wow. going to put my family through that. Yeah. And as a 14 year old, I was told, look, we want to be honest with our Presbyterian minister. And if he asks us a question, we want to give an honest answer that no, she's not going to an Adventist church. And so I was told you have three times a year where you can do Adventist things. You can go to church three times a year. You can, um, but stop having Bible studies. Don't go to church. Don't be baptized until you're 18. And then we can say, oh, well, look, she's an adult. Ask yeah, her she's about it. Her decisions, yeah. um, so that was a very isolating four years until I was 18. You're um, only 22. It's hard to imagine that something mm. like this still exists in Australia in the last decade. Mm. Well, it wasn't something that um, we spoke to the minister about. Obviously, we were, we'd gone through it before and we thought, oh, no, mm. we'd just um, keep this entirely secret. And so perhaps if we'd asked him, maybe he would have been more tolerant, but... You know, our judgment at the time was that that wasn't sure. The case. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I understand. That's um, that's a, a fair enough call. Um, you you've mentioned the conflict with your local church. You've obviously got very devout parents. Mm. How do they feel about uh, their children <laughs> exercising their power of choice and uh, and choosing you know different paths? Oh, my parents were entirely supportive. Um, my parents. One of the ways in which my parents are really weird, and I didn't realize they were so weird at the time. <laughs> this, is, this is great. This Eliza like, yeah, that. my parents are so weird. <laughs> was that their? They weird saw their the primary best. responsibility as parents to make us responsible adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and so it wasn't that. Oh, my children need to be Presbyterian. They weren't died in the world Presbyterians anyway. They just loved Scripture. Mm. It wasn't that I want my child to agree with everything I do, have the same politics, have the same denomination. It was just that we want you to take responsibility. And so even at a very young age, and I think part of this was because I was the youngest and I grew up in a family of adults, but at a very young age, I was encouraged to have my own opinions and to disagree. And my dad would always moderate conversation, but he would very rarely jump in. This would be such a fun fun family to be a part (laughs) of. I wish wish I could have sat in on some of those conversations. Mm. Um, Okay, so during this journey, you've grown up in 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 a home where uh, I want to. I want to focus in on because we've talked about the different churches that you've been a part mm. of. What about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Mm. Where does that go from being, you know, that childhood thing where you know we do this because this is what our family do to yeah. this is my connection with God? Nice. When does that happen, and how does that happen? That happened for me at quite an early age. So that really didn't have anything. To, as much as I love the Adventist Church and I have lapped up all of that experience um, that happened my relationship with God developed at quite an early age so when I was um, six or seven I um, you know we all we all struggle with school in different ways and for me I would just do whatever my friends asked me to do uh, because there was always that threat that oh maybe they won't be my friend mm. if I don't do this crazy thing and so um, I would just agree to things um, and they gradually got more and more radical. And I mean, for a six-year-old, at, at a six or seven-year-old <laughs> yeah. level. Um, and one day I just realized that, you know, this, is, this has gone too far. And um, I just felt an incredible weight of my own sin, that I wasn't um, respecting God in what I was doing. And I was um, so 
absorbed in what everyone else said I should be doing. How old were you at the time, sorry? when I was six or seven. Wow, and you had that. That's actually amazing. Yeah, um, praise God. I mean, I'm not... I still, it makes sense to me because I think often we do look at kids and go, oh, they can't really know. Mm. No, of course they can. Mm-hmm. Maybe on their level, but they can, you can, right. you obviously right. had that sense really strongly. Yes. And so, I had enough of the gospel that I felt that and I knew what to do about it. I wow. Yeah. Made a decision at six or seven, made a decision for baptism at 14. That's the 40, four to 14 window right there. Mm. Um just a, the perfect example of it. Tell me, uh, Eliza, let's, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. So mm-hmm. you're in the process of uh, finishing a uh, degree in history, honours. That's right. Masters, so, good, um, like what, a month left or so? I have my honours thesis is due in about a month. So, yes, I'm, I'm really passionate about history. And I think that um, you know, God put me where I am because often in the church we don't in in the church in general not just the Adventist church we we kind of look at um academics and we think oh well they're postmodernists they're atheists they're a lost cause they've made a decision already and we can't really speak into their lives and when we do try and speak into their lives we speak through Christian speak uh-huh, uh-huh. and so I felt a burden um going into uni to Try and understand and speak their language. Everyone deserves to hear the gospel in their own language. And for me, that was that was my burden. That was my task. That was something I could do. And I still have a burden to uh, teach people about God in such a way that they can understand that you don't have to be ignorant or silly to be a Christian. And so I'm, I've been very involved in campus ministry in Canberra at the ANU. Um, and I've loved every minute of it some sometimes it's been incredibly difficult i've been yelled at only once in class um for not being woke enough not being postmodern <laughs> enough um but it was only once and i was sort of ready for it and i was a bit shaken afterwards but um but no it's been it's been a really um significant way that i've been able to grow in my own faith while sharing with others Okay, so you, you you do know that, um, of course. I, I love history, so having a historian <laughs> on the on, on the other side of the studio oh, is just just exciting too. for me right now. Yeah. It's just like just just stay here for the next month while we <laughs> while we chat. But um, oh. what what part of history are you particularly looking at? So my thesis in, is in British imperial history, um, and especially how that relates to Australia and New South Wales in the 1850s and as a christian what uh what relevance do you see religion playing i mean i guess every historian is going to look at the relevance of religion uh, but what relevance do you see religion pra- playing in the uh um, british imperial history particularly looking at new south wales that is a huge question <laughs> <laughs> all right where do we start page one of the thesis right page one of my phd thesis um no i think the first textbooks to be brought to Australia were Bibles Mm. and the first school prize to be handed out in Australia was to an Aboriginal girl on a Bible quiz. Um, So I think absolutely scripture and religion has played an enormous part in not just the history of the British Empire as a Protestant power and as a self-consciously evangelizing power in the world. 
But particularly in Australia, particularly in New South Wales, I think we tend to think of ourselves as quite a secular society because we've never had one of those great revivals Mm. that we hear of Methodism in the UK or the Great Awakening in the US in um, the 19th century. We haven't really had one of those. And so we tend to think of ourselves as very a very secular country. Um, Famously, at the last federal election, Scott Morrison described his uh, victory as a miracle. And that was a huge point of contention. We never like to bring religion into politics or um, public society. But yet, um, religion is is so often at the base of, of course, who we are and how we act in the world. And history is the book of human experience. Mm. And when we add all of that up, we see how religion has played a role, not in a top-down authoritarian kind of way, but in an all-pervasive way of we think, we feel, we act. Okay, so you're a young person. You're 22 years old. You are living and studying in Canberra, which is kind of the political centre of Australia. <laughs> um, you, you, you mentioned you know, how we're uncomfortable with religion in politics here in this country. Yes. And, you know, ScoMo talking about a miracle and so forth, and probably the most religious Prime Minister we've had for many, many yes. years. Um, in your opinion, <laughs> oh dear. what do you see, how do you, how do you view the political landscape in Australia, uh, particularly in the context of religious liberty? That's a really good question. Actually, I'm, I'm living in Canberra, I'm studying in Canberra, but actually I'm from Melbourne. Mm. I grew up in Melbourne. And... I'm particularly worried that Victoria is looks like it's going to be a precursor of all of this. And I am concerned about religious liberty in Victoria, um, especially seeing as, you know, with, with the uh, kind of lockdown that's been imposed because of coronavirus, with the restrictions on the right to protest and therefore the right to speech, I don't see that as a good sign for religious liberty, even though religious liberty isn't something that's been directly attacked or directly uh, mocked in Parliament. Um, We have, uh, I think, some of the most antagonistic politicians in Victoria toward Christianity especially. Um, And so, yes, I'm not not sure if I'm entirely optimistic, Um, but at the same time, whatever governments do, they require the consent of their people to do and um, bad times come because good men stand by and do nothing and so I think that's a call to all of us to reflect on well the standard I walk past is the standard I accept Hmm. and what how can I be involved in my own situation how can I be an authentic Christian how can I instead of trying to hide it and thinking oh people will judge me people think I'm ignorant um, to say, no, this is actually who I am, and that's okay. And if you won't accept that, maybe I'll go somewhere else for company. Eliza Ma, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. Fascinating to talk Mm. to you and uh, really enjoyed that very much. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.